back to another episode of the Unlearning Podcast. My name is Ashley Lynn Hangst, and I am your host, your guide, and your biggest cheerleader on your unlearning journey. If you're new to the show, the Unlearning Podcast is all about helping you learn to love Jesus and your neighbor through healthy, life-giving theology. If you find this show to be helpful to you, please consider writing a rating and review and sharing the show with others. The ratings on the show really help get the word out. And so thank you to everyone who's already done so. On today's episode, I want to bring you into the wilderness, into the moment of Jesus' temptation with the devil. The temptation of Jesus is found in all three synoptic gospels, so in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the story brings up lots of important questions about temptation evil, and the person we call the devil. As people of faith, and especially as people of a progressive Christian faith, this passage offers us important questions. Does evil really exist? Do we believe in the devil? How do we reconcile the idea of evil with the doctrine of the depravity of man? Are people inherently evil? What does the idea of evil even mean for those of us who believe people are inherently good? Like Anne Frank. Remember her famous quote? This virtuous 16-year-old Jewish girl lived for two years in hiding during the German occupation of the Netherlands during World War II. Over the course of her short life, she kept a diary that has inspired millions of people all over the world. Unfortunately, Anne Frank and her family were eventually discovered and they were taken to the Auschwitz concentration camp where she died. Years later, after her death, her diary was published and one of the most inspiring things that she ever wrote was that in spite of everything, I still believe that people are really good at heart. That's really, really hard to say and to believe in light of all of the evil this young woman experienced. And yet she still had faith in the goodness of people. Sometimes when we experience trauma, whether it be sexual trauma or physical trauma or racist trauma, the biggest loss is the loss of faith in your own goodness and in the goodness of others. And so sometimes the last barrier to healing is reclaiming that faith, reclaiming the belief that when you are triggered by someone, that they are still good and that you are still good. And that none of that goodness is gone because of the intense pain you experience while being triggered. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we enter into the wilderness with Jesus and the devil. If you have your Bible or Bible on your phone, I want to encourage you to at some point read Luke chapter 4 verses 1 through 13. And it might be helpful to read it after you listen to this podcast episode, after some new information, because sometimes our familiarity with the Bible can blind us to its richness. And that's why it's helpful to also hear someone read it out loud and to read scripture in familiar and different translations. I love the New Revised Standard Version, but don't sweat about it. Read whatever translation makes it easy for you to understand scripture. So here now, the good news of Jesus as written in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for forty days he was tested by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. 
Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil led him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. Now, I know that many of us have read that passage and heard sermons on this passage many times. It's easy to gloss over it. And it's easy to gloss over this weird conversation between Jesus and the devil and and to really think nothing of it. Lots of pastors use this moment in the life of Jesus to emphasize memorizing scripture and hiding the word in your heart so that you can face temptation and overcome it. Now, I'm all about that. I love memorizing scripture. I highly recommend it. I agree with that. But I think there is so much more to this moment in the life of Christ than Bible memorization. Now, first of all, it's important to know that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. That's interesting if you think about it. Sometimes we feel like we fall into hardship or we stumble into our personal wilderness experiences because of something we've done wrong. But oftentimes, It's the good behavior, the good choices, the good intentions, the wise plans that lead us into seasons of living in the wilderness. Maybe you're in a relationship with someone who you feel like you're in a wilderness with. You want that relationship to grow, to develop, and you want to move on from permadating and experience commitment and love. But your boo is hesitant. And they've been hesitant for a long time. That can feel like a kind of wilderness. Or maybe you're in, you're underemployed at your job, working well below your skill level, but you need to be there because that's all you can find right now. That can be a kind of wilderness too. Or maybe you're older and you're struggling with the unknown mysteries of aging, watching your body begin to deteriorate with time running out quickly. That season of life can be a total wilderness. A wilderness season is not just any season of discontent. A wilderness season is a time in your life where you're not experiencing the fruitfulness that you desire or that that anyone would expect. It's a season where things feel barren and confusing and there's so much uncertain. And so no matter where you find yourself today, I want you to know that if you are in a wilderness season, it might not be your fault. It might just be part of being human and being in relationships. If we want to experience mental and emotional peace, we have to learn to accept all the seasons of our lives, not just the good ones, and to rely on God for the strength to see the big picture and to grow and mature in these seasons. In Luke's account of this story, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tested by the devil. In Matthew's account, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So which is it? Why was Jesus led into the wilderness? 
Does God lead us into difficult seasons in order to tempt us? Does God tempt people? Now, I totally agree with the letter from James where the brother of Jesus wrote, God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself tempts no one. And so if that's true, does that mean there is a mistake in the Gospel of Matthew? Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. Add this verse to one of the many mysteries of the Bible. What I do know is, is that sometimes trials and temptations are a form of testing and preparation. In the same letter, James wrote, Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. End quote. Enduring temptation is not the same as playing with fire. Remember that the verse in Proverbs where Solomon wrote that you cannot put hot coals on your lap and expect not to burn. That's true whether you're evangelical or not. We should not keep ourselves in situations where we are extremely tempted to be morally wrong. It's good to endure, but to not remain in temptation. In his amazing commentary on Luke, Fred B. Craddock wrote, and I quote, that temptation is an indication of strength, not a weakness. We are not tempted to do what we cannot do, but what is within our power, end quote. It's so true, isn't it? Very few of us are tempted to exploit migrant workers because we aren't responsible and in charge of a farm. But many of us are tempted in our own ways to lie and cheat and steal in our own contexts ways that are tailored to who we are and what we are responsible for. So Craddock also wrote that real temptation, and I'm quoting Craddock, real temptation is an offer not to fall, but to rise. The tempter in Eden did not ask, do you wish to be as the devil? But do you wish to be as God? End quote. I never really thought about that. The temptation is ultimately a temptation to rise above God and above others. And so looking at the story of Jesus' temptation, let's consider how he responded as the devil helped him to rise, like physically rise in each temptation. After 40 days and 40 nights of not eating, the devil tempted Jesus to turn stone into bread, and Jesus refused. Now, honestly, I'm like, why not? Why not turn stones into bread? I've been really hungry before. If Jesus was famished, okay, not that hungry, not not 40 days, I haven't eaten hungry. <laughs> but if Jesus was famished, wouldn't it make sense to just turn stone into bread? What if he suffers from a heat stroke or dies from hunger? In his commentary on Luke, F. Scott Spencer wrote, and I quote, Though famished, Jesus refuses to zap stones into bread because he refuses to work a culinary miracle for his own benefit. God will provide for his needs in God's way. In the meantime, Jesus will not manipulate divine power for his own ends. End quote. This is so powerful. Jesus will not manipulate divine power for his own ends. Yes, it would draw lots of crowds and push Jesus' approval ratings straight up if he turned stones into bread, but the act would not liberate them. Every word Jesus said and every single thing Jesus did was all for our liberation, to spiritually liberate us from all that blinded our culture, paralyzed our relationships, and poisoned our religion. If any action did not align with that mission, Jesus didn't do it. And if any theology does not align with the liberation of the most vulnerable, it's not Christian theology. 
I wish I could say that I was as virtuous as Jesus. I'm, I'm constantly trying to manipulate divine will for my own end. I often ask God to give me this and to do that and to make this happen when I should be asking God, what is your will? What would you like me to do in this moment and in this situation? Divine Mother, I surrender to you whatever you want me to do. Obviously, there is nothing wrong with asking our gracious God for a job, or for healing, or to get pregnant, or for Mrs. or Mr. Wright to come. What is unhealthy is when we want our will and our way so badly we only reach out to God in order to get what's on our wish list. It's unhealthy to try to bend God to our will and to get away with it. Jesus refused to do this, even though he was famished. Jesus answered the devil, it is written. One does not live by bread alone. Now, I love that response because it's a gentle reminder that you can be physically healthy and spiritually dying. And that we all need so much more than bread and wine. We need spiritual bread and spiritual wine and spiritual meat in order to truly live as human beings. The second temptation, and probably the greatest temptation for Jesus, was a political one. Then the devil, I'm quoting now Luke, then the devil led Jesus up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world the devil offered to give Jesus. And I quote, all this authority and their glory. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. End quote. So the devil offered to give Jesus all government authority if he would worship him. Does this passage mean that some government leaders are inspired by the devil and led by the devil or the spirits of evil? I'm sorry to say, but the answer is yes. Yes, there are some government leaders and powerful people outside of the government who are deeply, deeply evil and poisoned by evil intentions. We need to be very careful and extremely hesitant before judging anyone as evil. But this idea that people can be and act evil is a very real possibility. Fred B. Craddock defines evil, and I think this is really, really healthy. So listen to how Fred B. Craddock defines evil. He defines it as whatever is in us or among us that is in strong opposition to love, health, wholeness, and peace. Let me say that again. Evil is whatever is in us or among us that is in strong opposition to love, health, wholeness, and peace. And so there are people in power and not in power, people everywhere who are in strong opposition to love, health, wholeness, and peace, whether or not we want to believe it. I recently read an amazing book by Douglas Brinkley called American Moonshot, where he wrote about former President John F. Kennedy's push to put a man on the moon. In American Moonshot, Brinkley talks about our Cold War with Russia and how important it was for the American people to establish international technological supremacy as a means of national safety. Now, that phrase might sound really problematic to you, but during the Cold War years, Russia was preparing to create a nuclear bomb that could launch from Russia and hit the United States without error. Nuclear bombs were tested by the Premier Khrushchev, and Khrushchev made verbal public threats to bomb the United States. And so the campaign to put a man on the moon was one of the many effective ways the U.S. worked to protect this country in light of this very real reality. 
Earlier in the episode, I mentioned Anne Frank. Anne Frank was one of six million Jews who were killed during World War II by the Nazi military. The Holocaust was straight-up evil. I would go so far as to say the idea of the Holocaust comes straight from the pit of hell. Just the other week, 25-year-old African-American Jalen Walker was killed by the police by being shot 60 times. That is absolute evil. And so we have to really accept and deal with the fact that there is evil in our world if we want to stop it and create peace for one another. Now, I don't think that if you act in an evil way that that makes you the devil. I don't think evil behavior diminishes a person's humanity. I believe in consequences. But I don't believe in the dehumanization of people. I do believe that evil deeds need to be dealt with, either through just war or the law or in fighting and resisting temptation, but it needs to be dealt with. And so the idea that Jesus could be having a literal conversation with the literal devil and a literal and that a literal devil could have so much power is highly likely. All the authority that the devil promised to Jesus was deeply imperial. F. Scott Spencer explained that the devil's political temptation, and I quote, strikes at the heart of the imperial cult, which demanded to various degrees in various places worshipful service to Caesar as Lord, Savior, and Son of God. And yet Jesus resisted. He resisted by relying on the sacred texts of Scripture. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. It didn't matter how much the power the devil had or how much the devil promised Jesus. Jesus found his life, his source, his being centered on his relationship with God, not on political power. In the final temptation of Jesus, Luke wrote that the devil led him to Jerusalem and placed him on a pinnacle of the temple. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. In this moment, the devil was attacking Jesus's very identity. If you are the son of God, then test God and put God to the test and see if he shows up for you. This moment in scripture makes me think about my own identity. And if there are any ways that I try to test God, I'm a woman. I'm a lesbian woman. I am Jen's wife. I'm a theologian. I'm a writer, a friend, and a colleague. More important than any of that is that I am a child of God. I am beloved and treasured by my creator. None of that ever goes away. Sure, I may not have the ability to write anymore. And Jen may decide one day that she no longer wants to be married to me. What a terrible, terrible day that would be. Make no mistake, I would be so heartbroken to lose these important aspects of my identity. But I would not be utterly devastated. My ultimate identity and what no one can take from me not the government, not the church, or another person, is that I am a child of God. I am beloved by our Creator. That remains true no matter what happens, because nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that remains true no matter what season of life I find myself in. Friends, that is true for you too. You are a child of God. You are beloved whether things are going right in your dating relationship or not. Whether you're in a season of things going exactly as planned and everything feeling really good, or you're in a season of permadating and dead-end jobs, 
I want you to know that Jesus is there with you, holding you up and sustaining you through it. And that you can rely on the promises of God found in Scripture. You can lean on the person and work of Christ. And you can trust in God's ability to make everything work out for good. Just keep pursuing Christ. Keep pursuing maturity and trust God with your wilderness. God wastes nothing. God wastes nothing. God uses everything for good. And so may God grant you the faith to believe that today. I hope you found today's episode helpful to you. Thank you so much for joining me on this unlearning journey. I want to encourage you to take some time and read Luke chapter 4 with fresh eyes sometime this week and to really think about the counter-imperial values of Jesus and how Jesus used scripture in a healthy way to resist temptation. Until next time, my name is Ashley Lynn Hengst, and you are listening to 